Helen Hayes once said, The expert at anything was once a beginner. This is Save vs. Rant. Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today, we're going back to school. We're calling this episode DMing 101. And, to be as clickbaity as possible, we've decided that we're going to give a list of 10 things every new DM should know. So let's just dive right in. Number one, remember, you're here to have fun. Honestly, this should go without saying, but it's something that I think a lot of new DMs kind of struggle with. The idea that... You can either be a player and have fun, or you can be the DM and run the game. And really, if the DM isn't having fun, it's going to reflect in the rest of the game. DMing is fun. It is an interesting, enjoyable pastime. It's something that a lot of us enjoy a great deal, and it's entirely possible to run even a complex, difficult, rich game without compromising your ability to enjoy it as well. Also, don't forget, it isn't an us versus them. Many DMs step in having a feeling that they're losing when their monsters die in combat. That's not the case. Your players are winning. Your players are having fun. They're conquering the challenge that was set in front of them. That's good. Everyone should be having fun while we're doing that. So, remember to have fun. That is the most important rule on this list. Rule number two. Know the rules. Not of this list, but of the game. Every game has a rulebook, by necessity. If you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, there's the Player's Handbook that has all of the rules. And all of the supplemental rulebooks as well, because D&D is a very big game. And it's important that if you're going to play with any given set of rules, that you at least know those rules and have a passing familiarity with everything in them. You shouldn't be completely blindsided by anything in the rulebook, and ideally... You should have a fairly good grasp of everything in the rulebook. Now, that said, you don't have to be a rules lawyer. You don't have to know every intricacy of every single rule. I personally don't always remember how cover works. Yeah, the monsters over there, there's something in between you. Yeah, that's cover. Well, you might be going around a slight corner. Wait, are you measuring from the corner or the center of your square? I, I can never remember that. If it really comes up, have someone else look it up. But you should at least know that having something in between the t- characters creates cover. For rules that you tend to struggle with, and you should have a pretty good awareness of what rules you tend to struggle with fairly early on in your DMing career, you should start to create cheat sheets or otherwise make ways to familiarize yourself with these rules. Einstein once famously said, never memorize what you can look up. And generally, I agree with that rule, with the caveat that looking things up can really slow down a game a lot of times. So if you do have to look something up, it behooves you to be certain that you have it readily available. I have historically bookmarked my books with sticky note type bookmarks that allow me to flip to sections that I reference on a regular basis very quickly. This is a great way of being on top of this when you know that you're not going to be able to rattle off a rule perfectly off the top of your head, but it's still important enough to have the rule correct. 
Once again, we're not saying that you need to have every bit of minutia memorized, but you should at least know what armor class actually means. I mean, if someone has an armor class of zero, that's really good or really bad depending on your edition of D&D. Likewise, you should know what hit points generally mean. If someone has 50 hit points in third edition, that means they're probably about fifth level or so, sixth level, uh, maybe. But if they're in second edition, they might be eighth or ninth level and you know what those hit points actually mean. Just learn the rules, familiarize yourself with them, know the rules. Our third rule is to be sure to make it about your players. There's a vulgar term, dungeon masturbating, which is where the dungeon master runs the game for himself, for his own purposes. A lot of times this results in your DM doing things like playing their god PC who basically wipes out all the monsters on behalf of the player characters, or otherwise dominates the story completely. And one pitfall with that, a common pitfall with that, is the inclusion of a PC that goes with the party on whatever quest there is. There's nothing wrong with having NPCs accompany the party. Where it gets problematic is when you have these NPCs that overpower and overshadow the party and become more important than your player characters. I believe it was Dan the Bard who once said of a game that his DM ran, even though the land was flat and they had a ranger, a pair of giants ambushed the party and squished them. But then the NPC drew both of his plus five swords of sharpness. He killed both the giants while they died upon the grass. That's dungeon masturbating in a nutshell. Right. Point being that your player characters should be the center of the story. They should have an opportunity to be important to the story, even if they're peasants, even if the focus of the story is the intrigue surrounding the new king's ascension, even if there's an important NPC that has a significant power level. It's important to make your players feel included, important, and above all, they are the center of the attention of the game. Another great example. In... Paizo's Pathfinder Adventure Path, Wrath of the Righteous, early on, the player characters gain a bunch of mythic power, and they're sent by the queen of their country to go take a keep. She could go do it on her own. She's a 15th level paladin, but she has to defend the front lines. She has more important things to do, and while this is strategically important, it's better for her to be on the front lines and delegate this task out. Don't send the 12th level fighter with your party of first level characters. It's not important. Send them off, let them go, let them adventure. They need their little slice of this world. That's what matters. They need to have something they feel is important to them and their characters. And even though the world may be inhabited by characters more powerful or even more interesting than their characters, that's not the focus of the story. The focus of the story is going to be the player characters. That's one of the fundamentals of running a role-playing game is that the player characters are the stars of the story. So rule number four, don't forget to plan. Even if you're a DM who likes to run most of their sessions by improvising, like me, you still need to know where things are going. You still need to know what's behind that door. Oh, it's a troll. Why is there a troll behind that door? Oh, he's guarding treasure. Wait, the troll is guarding treasure? Why is he guarding treasure? Well, we're in a dungeon. That's what happens. There are monsters that guard treasure. Oh, we're in a dungeon now. Okay, where's this dungeon located? Oh, it's in the forest. And now we have world building. Now we have a little bit of planning. We know what's going on. 
I, on the other hand, plan out my games a great deal. I have a lot of structure to them. I create whole worlds before I even start my game. And I have literal binders full of NPCs. I have a lot of material, and if I find myself in a situation where I don't know what's happening, I don't know where the game is going, I have a lot of stuff to fall back on. And for me, that works well into my style. I also tend to prepare random NPCs of a regular generic stock. I have generic shopkeepers, generic soldiers, generic farmers, all of these generic NPCs that I can drop in, sign a name to, and have them ready to go. I know what their basic abilities are. I know generally what they're capable of and what they would be doing. In general, I have a lot of material prepared. I have extra encounters that I can just drop in at any time. I tend to be very prepared and very organized with my games. Even if you're improvising, you should know where the story's going. You should know that at the end of this dungeon, there's a plus two flaming longsword. That's a really interesting thing. But if there's a plus two flaming longsword at the end, don't throw anything bigger in front of it. Just make sure that you plan. You don't want the player characters to accidentally stumble upon a staff of the Arc Magi while they're looking for this plus two flaming longsword. It doesn't make sense. Have a goal in sight, but be sure that everything works together towards that goal. You don't want to lose focus on that just because you're allowing yourself to improvise and you don't want to box yourself in so that you have no room to improvise just because you want to be organized. There is a balance to be made. The most important thing is to be prepared to improvise because players are always going to do things you can't anticipate. And frankly, there are always going to be more of their brains out there thinking than there is of your brain. So let's move on. Rule number five, have good time management. I know that this sounds like a middle manager talking, uh, talking to you. Now remember, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about just have a general plan about what's going to happen when you sit down to play. If you know you have four hours to play, plan it out accordingly. Each, each game has about 15 to 30 minutes of lead-in time and 15 to 30 minutes of lead-out time, where people sit down, kind of get in the groove of things, where you recap the session, where you go, hey, John, how are you doing? Uh, what, what were you doing today? Oh, cool, that, that's awesome. This rule actually specifically comes from the 4th edition Dungeon Master's Guide. It has about 29 pages of really, really good, just straightforward DMing material. It's, it's amazing. As someone who did not enjoy 4th edition and has a lot of qualms with it, I have to say that the 4th edition Dungeon Master's Guide is probably one of the best sources of DMing advice I have ever read in my life. It's absolutely incredible. They do a great job breaking down the common pitfalls of games, ways that you can take your game, uh, expectations, and one of the big ones that they talk about is time management and understanding that role-playing doesn't necessarily come as a solid, you sit down, you begin gaming, you stand up and gaming is over, and then it's done. There's an ease into it, an ease out of it, you know, perhaps there's going to be people eating, there's going to be people doing things during the game, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that does mean that you need to have an awareness of those sort of activities and how your group tends to work in those ways. 
it also gives a good breakdown. Each encounter, each scene, each beat, each moment in the game is about an hour. If you have a combat encounter, it's going to take about an hour. Bigger, badder enemies are going to take longer. Smaller enemies are going to be shorter. But that's that's good. About one hour per combat. Likewise, each role-playing encounter is going to take about an hour. Oh, here's the shopkeeper who knows who, uh, who bought that evil curved dagger. How are we going to get the information out of him? Do we have to ply him with drink? I think so. That's going to take an hour to go through all of that. And it's going to be fun. And that's the important thing, is that you're having fun. But the important thing for time management purposes is that you know how long you have to do these things, how long they're going to take as an approximation without shoehorning it to a specific time limit. And a big part of time management is just having an awareness of how long things are going to take. So if you're at the last 10 minutes of the session, you don't start a huge combat that's going to break things up. And a big part of that is something that you have to learn by observation and by playing. But if you go into it with an awareness that this is something that you're going to need to know, that's something you're going to need to build on and learn, then you're probably not going to fall into a lot of the common pitfalls of running out of time unexpectedly or of taking too long to do something that could be done simpler and faster. And speaking about running out of time unexpectedly, that one has run out of time. Number six... I really like this one. This was John's specific rule. Don't be afraid to let the players be powerful. Back when I started DMing, one of my biggest fears was that the players would outgrow the game completely, that their player characters would become so powerful that there would remain no challenges in the world, that there would be nothing for them to do. I've learned since then that that's largely a phantom fear. It's not something that happens because within the context of a gaming world, you can have greater and greater challenges. And uh, D&D is well known for this. There's challenges that range from, in 4th edition, for example, from level 1 to 30, and in 2nd uh, and 3rd edition, you see challenges rating more from level 1 to level 20. The point being that there's a huge spread of challenges throughout the game. First level adventurers are challenged strongly by wolves and goblins, and 20th level adventurers find themselves battling the legendary Tarrasque and ancient red dragons. But one thing that you need to be aware of is what the power level of your game is going to be. And that doesn't mean preventing the player characters from doing anything cool, which is what sometimes happens when people try to constrain themselves to a power level. It's important to know that the player characters are want, going to want to be able to do cool things. Even in the context of games like Call of Cthulhu or World of Darkness playing as humans, the player characters may not have a lot of supernatural powers and may not have a lot of opportunities to battle eldritch horrors and things from beyond the stars on a fair playing field, but they still need to be allowed to do awesome things and to be able to be the character they built. Now, that said, don't let the player characters just run rampant. Don't give all of your third level characters plus five holy avengers with plus five suits of armor and a whole quiver of dragon slaying arrows. That's probably more powerful than any third level party actually needs to be. Unless, of course, that's the game you're running. In which case, have fun, but, you know. And even in that case, you can always pull it back. You can always talk to the players and go, 
Hey guys, could I... I realize I might have been a little drunk that night and just decided, yeah, why not? Artifacts for everyone. Artifacts for you. Artifacts for you. You'll get three nine lives stealing stealing swords. Why not? Yeah, there there is this power level that you have to play to. You have to find what the sweet spot of your campaign is. But a lot of people are shy and afraid of letting their player characters have good powers and good abilities. And really, we play games to be larger than life and to be someone cooler than we could ever be in real life. And a big part of that is having cool powers and abilities that we can play off of. And if you completely cut that off, then you're really weakening your game. And if you want to play a strong game, big part of it is being willing to let the player characters be powerful and cool. So rule number seven, talk with your players. Manage your expectations. Have an open line of communication with your players. You don't need to be an imperious, unapproachable DM. You don't need to have your players afraid to tell you that they're not having fun. Yeah, you might have had a really long intrigue section in your game plan for three or four sessions. But if your players all want a hack and slash game, they're not going to be having fun. So let them know that what you have planned and talk with them and find out what they have planned. Give them an opportunity to tell you what kind of game they want to play. Some games actually have really excellent built-in mechanics for this. In the Chronicles of Darkness, the New World of Darkness's second edition, one of the big things they added was aspirations for your characters. And that's a way of telling the DM what kind of game you want to play, what kind of story you want to tell. If your player character's aspiration is to find a place to belong, then that tells the DM what kind of game you're expecting. If their aspiration is to defeat someone bigger than themselves, that tells the DM what kind of game they want to play. If they have an aspiration, want to cut off a werewolf's head, you might want to figure out how to throw a werewolf into that game. Exactly. The whole thing is that you want to have this open communication. And while some games have mechanics that explicitly facilitate that, in general, you have to be the one who makes that happen. You have to be the one who goes to your players and says, hey, what kind of game were you hoping to play in? What interests you? What do you like about the game? What do you not like about the game? What do you want your character to do? This is also a good way, going back to that power level situation, this is also a good way to make sure that you are in that sweet spot of power level by talking to them about what their character can do. What is one really cool thing your character can do is a question that I often ask my players so that they can give me an opportunity to tell me what their special power is, what their special ability is that their character has that they've come up with by mixing and matching rules. And that gives them an opportunity to let me know so I can be prepared for that Not so that I could shut it down, but so that I can make it front and center at the right opportunity. Now, your group probably isn't going to be comprised of just one type of player. You might have the one player who wants to do nothing but bash in goblin skulls, while you have another player who wants nothing but to sit there and talk with the shopkeeper for hours and hours on end. The 4th edition DMG, once again, divided the players up into the player motivations. You have the actor, the investigator, the power gamer, the slayer, the storyteller, the thinker, and the watcher. And all of these are good things, and all of these are roles that 
players could want to be in. The Watcher might just want to sit back and go, yeah, this is an interesting game. Wait, wait, wait. That was a really cool thing over there. Everyone, let's go that way. Whereas the Investigator might be chomping at the bit for a great dungeon crawl. They might be salivating at the thought of going to this giant wizard tower. The Slayer wants to wade through the Horde of Goblins. The Power Gamer wants to mess with the rules to make a really powerful character. The Actor wants to sit and talk. All of these are great things that the players might want to do, and you as the DM have to know what each player wants and how to properly facilitate that. And it's very important that in the modern era of gaming, we have an understanding that there is no one true right way to roleplay. Your group is going to be different from my group. One player is going to be different from a different player. Everyone has different expectations, and we can make this into something great that everyone can enjoy. It's important that we have that understanding that just because someone has different expectations from a game doesn't mean that one person is wrong and another person is right. Everyone can expect something different from a game and a well-planned game, a well-prepared game, or even a well-improvised game can provide those points to everyone involved. So rule number eight, keep good notes. This is a thing that I actually struggled with as a DM for a really long time. I would often introduce the character of Kangren, the destroyer of Blackhaven. And the players would go, uh, don't you mean Korgoth, the conqueror from Gloomvale? And I'd sit there and sheepishly go, yeah, isn't that what I just said? Kangren, the destroyer? Who, who, who said that? Did you just say Kangren, the destroyer? Who's that? And it's... It's really, really difficult to remember what happened a month ago, two months ago. If you take long breaks in gaming, sometimes you can go weeks without even seeing the other players to know what had happened. If you have good notes, you can immediately pull up and go, Oh yes, you guys last encountered the emissaries of the Winter Court. What are you going to do? Oh yes. Uh, Jacob, our good friend, made a horrible pun about that guy's name. Everyone suddenly laughs, everyone remembers, and you move on. The game keeps going. When you're taking your notes, you want to be sure that you are recording the information correctly, but also that you have certain touchstones available to help you remember what went on, remember how to remind your players of these things. And... Our good friend Jacob is constantly making puns in-game, and these are often a useful touchstone for things like uh, knowing when something happened or... or uh... Uh, The name of an NPC in a game I ran was Algrod Kangren Holek. And our good friend Jacob went, so he's an LK Holek? No one uh, ever forgot his name again. Yeah, yeah, we all all knew at that point. That That was set in stone. I like to record most of my notes in just a notepad that I carry around in my uh, in my role-playing folder. But some people use computers. I don't actually know of any programs off the top of my head. Um, actually, there are a few really good solutions for that. If you're very tech-savvy or, well, moderately tech-savvy, I suppose, you can create your own wiki or blog for recording your uh, gaming experiences. If you're less tech-savvy and you don't have the ability to set up your own, I, for one, use my own media wiki, which I set up on my own server. 
Um, I was able to get one through Linode for $10 a month, and because I've got a lot of experience with this sort of thing, I can set up a full server with all of the amenities I could possibly need to record all my information with backups, all of that crazy stuff. If you don't have that kind of power, there are some great services out there. One that I really enjoyed for a long time was Obsidian Portal. Uh, Obsidian Portal is a excellent platform for recording your games and for organizing. They do a really good job. I recommend that anyone who has an interest in keeping track of things for their games look that up. Um, in our information age, it's very accessible. Uh, it's very easy for player characters on smartphones, tablets, or laptops to jump on there and have access to an entire wiki for your campaign. It's just a fantastic way to keep track of things. But in general, I am more intricate in my record keeping with wikis and campaign blogs and notes and such. Whereas Jeremy tends to just write things on paper and there's nothing wrong with either of those approaches. They both accomplish the same thing and they both work for us. The most intricate thing that I use as my note taking is I have a little uh, cork board that I put notes on. I use a, a thumbtack and go, okay, Here's this place. It's generally in this direction. You guys are going here to retrieve the sword princess chalice from the mouth clutches tower of the wizard dragon Abeleth. Yes, all, all real campaign things, I'm sure. So number nine, kiss. What, what does kiss mean, John? Keep it simple, stupid. Seriously. I know that I've been talking about how I take these great intricate notes and have these binders full of things and all of that. And that is something I built up to over a very long time of DMing and learning that that is my style. I didn't jump in with both feet and immediately make several hundred NPCs for my first game. I didn't immediately jump in and create these giant encounters and huge puzzles and enormous dungeons. Honestly, the best way to start for most people is to get a published module or a piece of uh, material off the internet to now, start with. Now, published modules kind of get a bad rap. A lot of DMs go, oh, no, no, I like to use my imagination and craft my world. These people have been paid a lot of money. They've spent a lot of time working on these worlds. The Pathfinder Adventure Paths are amazing. I cannot speak higher of them. I don't like running Pathfinder. I really don't. But I subscribe to the Pathfinder Adventure Paths to keep getting each of these modules. The stories are so intricate. All of the combats and encounters are well planned. All of the NPCs are well thought out. And you can start from there. Yeah, you don't have to uh, stay there. You can keep going. Oh, the players developed an interest in this NPC over here. Flesh them out. It's your game. Right. And it's a great way to start. It's a great way to get in there with both feet without having to worry about creating a whole world and having it fall down around your ears because you weren't prepared or ready for this sort of step. It's a good way to start out. Even if that's not how you start, I recommend that your earliest encounters, when you first start playing the game, you have, for instance, don't try to have it be one goblin riding on a warg with his orc companion and a elven wizard that was with them. Just... Seven goblins, great way to start. Seven goblins. Seven goblins is a great, great way. Heck, even the final boss of your first few... If the player characters are level three, a simple low-level vampire or vampire spawn-like monster is a great villain. Just one, 
maybe with three or four zombies. That's two monsters. That's all the record keeping you need for those two. And it's a good thing. You don't need it, you don't need it to be the vampire plus his thrall plus 15 different types of zombies. The ogre zombie, which explodes once it uh, reaches zero hit points. The three infectious zombies, the one over there that's throwing bits of its bile and entrails. Oh, but don't, but don't forget the uh, goblin slaves. It doesn't need to be that complicated. When you start out especially, you want to be sure that you can handle what's going on. And just because something is simple and straightforward doesn't mean that it's not an interesting and fun game. You can still have a good, interesting session with fairly simple combats, fairly simple stories. It's a good way to start out. Don't overwhelm yourself. Keep it simple. And number 10. This one we've said before, and it bears repeating. Wheaton's Law. Don't be a dick. Really, you do not have to turn this into an us-versus-them thing. You don't have to gloat if you kill one of your player characters. You don't have to make this into something that hurts or demeans other people. Gaming is a collaborative effort. It's a collaborative storytelling effort where we all come together to create something interesting and fun. It has game elements, it has storytelling elements, it's got all kinds of things going for it. But the most important thing is that everyone is here to have a good time. And if you act like a dick, you ruin that. Pretty simple here. Respect. Give it, you'll get it. So, we've been ranting for about 30 minutes now. Let's, let's break it all down. Let's give a quick recap of what our 10 rules are. Number one, remember you're here to have fun. Number two, know the rules. Number three, make it about the players. Number four, don't forget to plan. Number five, have good time management. Number six, don't be afraid to let the player characters be powerful. Number seven, talk with your players. Number eight, keep good notes. Number nine, keep it simple, stupid. And number ten, don't Don't be be a a dick. If you remember all these things, your first few sessions as a DM will go wonderfully. Unless you accidentally TPK the group by sending 15 goblins, 25 zombies. Have fun. It'll be great. So, what's next on the docket here? It says, beautiful math? Yes, beautiful math. This will be a little headier than our usual stuff because we're going to be breaking down some numbers. But one thing that I've wanted to talk about more or less since we started this podcast is the idea of how math plays into the games we play and how on a fundamental level that is part of the beauty of gaming is this mathematical brilliance that comes into both many classic games and many of the newer games we play all right so until next time thank you very much for listening this has been save versus rant Gary Gygax once said, Role-playing isn't storytelling. If the DM is directing it, it's not a game.
Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.